we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Welcome, welcome, one and all. This is uh, the Fifth Column Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our, uh, I don't know if we should call it a maiden voyage or inaugural run. Uh, I am going to call it a surprise fisting uh, because you have I don't, no idea no, I don't like that what's all. about to happen to oh, you. Oh, God. Yeah, but it's, it's disgusting. It's going to be wonderful. He oh. means more like the uh, the black power fist yeah. up in the air. What did you think I was talking about? I don't know. Maybe I'm. I oh my! You have a, you are filthy, filthy I man. Am, I, I absolutely um, am. That's this true. Is, uh, this is our <laughs> weekly uh, journey into the I guess into the news cycle. What are we fifth columnists against? We are rebelling against <laughs> yeah. the news. We're trying to figure it out as we go along here. Um, I am Camille Foster of Freethink Media. I am joined by two grizzled media veterans yeah. um, who have far more reason to talk about the substantive issues that we'll be delving into today uh, than I do. And True. I will allow them to introduce themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, we are embedded here in Midtown Manhattan, uh, uh, these fifth columnists. I'm trying to remember the Andrew Sullivan quote after 9-11. Sure. There's the, uh, oh, you're, you're the, the fifth columnists uh, uh, will be uh, uh, in their decadent enclave Enclaves on the, the coast. coast. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, from our decadent enclave in Midtown Manhattan, uh, I'm Michael Boynihan, uh, columnist for the Daily Beast host of a forthcoming show on the Vice's uh, news channel. Does that uh, thing have a title yet, that show? Uh, uh, no, it doesn't. Okay. Uh, can... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Matt Welch. Uh, yes, I am Matt Welch uh, from Reason Magazine, and I want to object to calling Michael Moynihan grizzled. I think he first started mm. shaving sometime this morning. He's a metrosexualist. <laughs> I just of, wanted, uh, I wanted you guys review. to sound experienced. Um so oh, that'll, that'll become clear right, yeah, now, right now. That's true. That's true. And we've got a we've got a great story um, rundown or lineup for you guys today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of terrorism, talk a little bit about this iPhone FBI case. Mm -hmm. uh, we will talk a little bit about politics and the election that is going on, particularly some uh, some orange dude. Uh, you can't, you can't avoid brilliant it. ideas. You can't avoid the Trump. Unfortunately. Uh, Camille doesn't uh, want to avoid it. He wants to vote for it. No, <laughs> I didn't know, say that. I, I didn't say on. that. We'll get to that. I hope. And uh, <laughs> towards the end here, uh, we're gonna we're gonna introduce two new segments, uh, and everything is new because yeah. it's the first first show. Uh, but some idiot wrote this, and uh, party yeah. shots. Yeah, the, the some idiot wrote this is pretty much the greatest thing ever <laughs> created in the history of podcasts. Because what is that exhale that you you take every day when you're on Twitter? Is like I can't believe some fucking idiot wrote this. <laughs> and so w the three of us have been communicating via email and text and uh, carrier pigeon to, to exchange the things that uh, they can't believe that some idiot wrote this week. So we'll be discussing those. And I hopefully in the, in the spirit of uh, uh, Daniel Tosh, who used to have this uh, a show that I never watched, but one time I saw it was great. They had this web redemption thing, like mm -hmm. viral videos. They'd have the guy Tosh of the, or the uh, person that was involved in this humiliating web video come and try to redeem themselves in the show. Oh, nice. So hopefully in this way, uh, uh, in the future, we can actually get uh, people on who wrote yes. something idiotic and uh, have them call in or have them um, uh, visit the studio and uh, be mow mowed. Every single person, every single person that we insult in the next fifty-five minutes uh, here yeah. in Podcastia 
has an open invitation to come Please. on the show, with sure. the exception of Justin Raimondo. <laughs> I've, ne- I've actually never heard of that guy. I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to leave anyone out, uh, Matt Welch. In fact, I want to see the two of you guys fight. So, mm-hmm. uh, without further ado, let's get into this uh, this first story here. We're going to yeah. talk a little bit about uh, about terrorism and whether or not we're talking about this stuff in the right way. Yeah, you know, this is the thing. I mean, this is the thing that comes up with terrorism when you have um, when you don't know a hell of a lot about it. And it's a complicated issue. I mean, you the the how these people are being radicalized, why Mullenbeek in Belgium, this kind of little enclave in, in, in Brussels, is creating you know more terrorists than nineteen uh, seventies Algeria. Um, that involves a certain level of knowledge. You have to understand kind of what's going on. You can't just say poverty anymore. So instead of that conversation, which is the complicated one, we tend to have these conversations about who cares about what and why they care about it. So, for instance, after this, and just like after the attack in Paris, people will say, well, everyone's getting very upset about Brussels. Everyone's getting very upset about Bataclan in Paris. But no one's talking about X. And that X is usually a terror attack that happens in Usually a Middle Eastern country, an African country, the Yemen. week the week before. You know, Yemen's at war, um, you know, uh, attacks in, in Africa. There's, I can't remember what, what the one, oh, the a, a, attack in um, uh, Turkey, I think there was one that, that people were upset that nobody was paying attention to. Um, one in Pakistan the other day that is actually getting a fair amount of attention. Um, so, I mean, what do you like? What do you make of this? Because this is the idea. I, I have a response to this that we're not paying attention. The, the implicit uh, argument here is that it is slightly racialized, or that it's that it's about religion and it's about you know Western Europeans. We care about those deaths more than we do of somebody in sort of Nigeria. True or not, Matt? Uh, of course we do. Yeah. Of course we do. It's it's okay to admit it. Um, I don't know if it's okay to feel it as much. Uh, the thing that makes terrorism news a man bites dog type of story is that we empathize with people whose lives look remotely like ours. Sure. And people in advanced kind of liberal Western democracies who are above a certain level of prosperity, we can identify them. We have a shared culture. We have the shared consumer goods. Or we don't have the same types of recent history of civil war and colonialism and fighting and God knows what else is that you see. In other places. And so there's an automatic uh, sense of empathy uh, with people going about their daily business and getting their limbs ripped. uh, uh. Yeah. I mean, if you think of it this way, I mean, this is terrorism is one that everybody has a stake in because you can make a political point about it on, on all sorts of different directions. If you went to Youngstown, Ohio, and you went downtown Youngstown and all of a sudden you just turned a corner and there were 600 indigent children, you know, who were skin and bones. You would say, oh, my God, I'm calling the New York Times. I'm calling and people would come in and they would make this big story. How could this possibly happen? Now, if you went to any place, you know, elsewhere in the world where it was crushing, grinding poverty and you saw that, you'd be like, well, that's sort of what I expected. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- mm-hmm. there's a there's a but for some reason, when we talk about the terrorism, you have to say there's a couple of things about this is that we've all been to Paris. Right. Has everyone here been to Paris? Yes. 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 Has anyone here been to Nigeria? No. 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 Okay. I have so, been to Africa. Yeah. But, but never Nigeria. Where'd you go in Africa? Uh, I've been to Cape Town. I've been to. Uh, oh, God. Really? Yeah. Does Kruger, it have to be Kruger Cape Town National with you? Park. Um, I Kruger. also. Did I, you I just play got back. Sun City? No. Uh, I just got back from Namibia as <laughs> well. But uh, apparently, all of those places, both Namibia and South Africa, are governed by the uh, apartheid regime. 
So, well, are you yeah. are you as a black man who's not black? Are you defending the <laughs> apartheid regime? Are you a PW Bota? No, I thought we were talking about terrorism. I don't want to. Oh do yeah, that. yeah, okay. Uh, well, it was a form of terrorism. But no, I mean, this is the thing. Is like if you visit a place, it could have been you. So a friend of mine. Uh, yesterday, and a friend of yours, actually, a, a British chap named Ben, who uh, said to me, uh, I was in the the airport in Brussels uh, the day before. I mean, it could, it's always that it could have been us sort of thing helps it, too. And, you know, my wife flew to Paris the day after the Brussels attacks yeah. with my one year old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. and I should also yeah. uh, point out suspicious at, at JFK. <laughs> she left her stroller. Because oh, like, she was like harried and like yeah. had to go to the bathroom, came out. This is the day after the uh, the attacks uh, and like six uh, gigantic uh, uh, security guards came over. It's like <laughs> we saw something we had to say. What what were you yeah. thinking? Yeah. And she's like, I don't I don't know. I don't, uh, don't uh, you see yeah. this baby? It yeah, walks around baby. everywhere. It's not the tell <laughs> baby. No, this this idea, though, this, and the, I mean, you know, you see it in, um, you know, the Empire State Building, uh, which always lights up. And they screwed it up this time, didn't they? They, they did you see this? They, they no. lit it after the Belgian attack. Uh, they lit it up with the colors of the French flag. Oh, you, you know, you which can't. by the way, which by the way, I'm kind of for because Belgium is kind of a fake country. It's yeah. half Dutch, half French. Yeah. I thought that was a political statement. Yeah. They're saying like, you know, this is a really it's not a real. Fuck the Walloons. Yeah, fuck, yeah, fuck the Flemish. Let's put it up, and you know, so yeah, they're not gonna, they're not putting up. I mean, if they put up. A flag of, you know, Yemen. People would be like, what the fuck is that? What happened? Does that mean there's a storm coming? <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, so, it's interesting. I mean, for, given given the context that you that you set out at, at the beginning of this conversation, we have a whole category of attacks that we largely ignore and don't yeah. pay any attention to because we can't really relate to those people and those pl- places are already really screwed up. Uh, and then there's terrorism itself, which we seem to dramatically exaggerate in a pretty regular clip the risks that are posed yeah. to the United States. And perhaps perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps we ought to be paying a lot more attention to it. Certainly when you listen to the presidential candidates talk about this, when you talk to most voters about this, they are they are desperately concerned about this. Yeah. But yeah. it's probably the least likely thing to kill you. He, here's the thing about this, I think. That, and I think this is essentially similar to it's about feelings. It's about the feeling of being in Paris. It's about the feeling of ha- like that could happen to me. It doesn't feel that way when you're, you know, you see, you know, the Houthis fighting in Yemen. I think that with terrorism is that if you look at the numbers, it, it, yeah, it's not it's not likely to happen to you. But it's also have you ever talked to somebody about flying, and sure. you try to tell them like it's the safest mode of transportation you can possibly take <laughs> mile by mile, and everybody has a friend who's like, I'm terrified of flying. I can't fly. I'm not yeah. gonna fly, and I just won't do it. I'd rather take a train. I'd rather take the QE2. When I do it, I sweat. I have to take clonopin to get on the plane. It's a totally irrational fear. But it's the fear of that kind of thing being visited upon you. You're in a tower downtown and all of a sudden you see, you know, some guy with a rather nice flowing beard coming towards your window on the 65th floor. Well, I think part of that, and it's important to acknowledge this, is that it's about uh, control, right? You don't fly the plane. You drive your car. Yeah. And you can convince yourself and you're wrong, especially you because I've seen you drive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, yeah. No. Uh, That's just a hate crime. If they they actually— If you tape recorded you, you would be like legitimately arrested for hate hate speech, (laughs) hate crime in the United States under our law. This is absolutely true. I'm the Anwar Alalakwi of uh, (laughs) the Beltway when I'm driving on the Beltway. I don't know. I'm living in New York, but, you know, of I-35. Yeah, continue. It's important about control. And terrorism is the total disruption of what you think is uh, is the control of the situation. You expect the world to, to behave in a rational way. Terrorism is a deliberate disruption of that uh, world. And I've never been one 
one who really uh, likes the whole like, oh, you have a better chance of being electrocuting yourself in your own bathtub than terrorism. Yeah, so yeah. calm down. It's like, no, actually, there is a wing of different sects of Islamic radicalism that are targeting people who aren't of their faith constantly and who are doing things that they perceive as bad constantly. Some are, level of constant. But aren't they largely targeting people who actually believe mostly the same thing that they do like they they actually read the same book i mean most of these yeah. attacks are happening in sure. muslims countries most of the victims of these attacks for for all of the the yeah, talk um, in recent weeks about uh christian genocide um are actually happening to other muslims it's absolutely like, true. Yeah. It, it seems like we we generalize we exaggerate we get into these arguments about semantics. We have to call it Islamic radicalism. I mean, that seems like an oversimplification to me. Well, I think there's a couple things here. The first one is, is that, you know, think about the people that are, 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 are kind of creating these discussions of people in the media. So when you say that, you know, uh, you, the chances of, of being hit by a sort of terrorist attack or a suicide bomber being killed in a terror attack are, you know, one in 40 million. For people in the media, I think that's probably a smaller number, by the way, uh, especially certain people like, you know, when we were at Reason and we decided like, oh, let's publish these Muhammad cartoons. That is no longer one in 300 million. That's probably one in, you know, a thousand at that point. So it, when it's visited upon you and visited upon people, you know, Fleming Rose, who published the Muhammad cartoons in Denmark is a friend of mine. I've, I saw I was with him on the 10th anniversary of the cartoons in, in, in Massachusetts, in suburban Massachusetts, just him and I and someone else having dinner. Uh, the other two people that were having dinner with us uh, on the other side of the restaurant were two enormously beefy, bald uh, Danish uh, security force guys. So that guy, I mean, his uh, his odds are different than than you know somebody in 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 Ohio, right? Some random person. So that mu that much is true. And is is to the to the point about you know who is is um um you know the target of this stuff. Uh, yeah, it is absolutely true that that if you're a Muslim, you're more likely to be the be a victim of terror than if you're not a Muslim. Uh, again, that changes if you're a Christian in in Syria. I imagine that's probably. I mean, they, they, there was a, a pastor who was literally uh, crucified on uh, Easter. He mm. was kidnapped oh, and he was crucified. Geez. So I mean, this is you know, it is that barbarism, that level of barbarism in the the kind of deliberation of it, right. putting people in cages and setting them on fire, and you know, blow putting uh, charges around their neck and blowing them up on video. That makes the things you know. The react, the visceral reaction is 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 much different yeah. than you know people being killed in a war in Laos or Although something. You know? There is something really odd about the fact that most of these uh, most of these really heinous, just obscene um, techniques are things that we've seen sort of south of the American border. And I, I just almost finished it's reading true. this fantastic book, The Cartel, that um, Matt Welch recommended to me. Um, and I mean, just some of the carnage that's in there Absolutely seems right. like it is directly out of middle, the Middle East. And the fact is that it predates mm -hmm. what happened no, in the Middle East. I mean, beheadings, like yeah. all kinds of insane stuff, stuff setting yeah. people yeah, on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's odd to me that that doesn't resonate in the same way. We largely ignore it and tune it out as well. well again, but I suspect that that's, that's similar to what we were talking about. We're not going to we're not going to see beheadings by drug cartels in the United States very much, or at least in in any kind of 
uh, uh, proportion that we see south of the border. Sure. But it's also the old mafia thing, right? It's the, it's the idea that, you know, uh, nobody minded so much downtown in New York here in Mulberry Street when when Gotti would hang out, hand, hand out turkeys. They'd say, you know, isn't he a murderer? And the response was always like, you know, he'd only murder if you if you, if you fucked with him. Yeah. So it's your own fault in a way if you're getting mixed up in drug cartels and being, that's actually not true, but that's the sense that people have, that it's, you know, it's not being visited upon people randomly. Which is the sense that, you know, if ISIS overruns your village, you might be in a boiler suit having, uh, you know, uh, your head blown off. My favorite part of the reaction to terrorism in Brussels and elsewhere is the immediate ventriloquism, to use a friend of, uh, use a word of your late friend Christopher Hitchens. Oh, yeah. The wow. ventriloquism for the terrorist attack. When people say, well, they were just protesting yeah. this thing that I happen to agree yeah, with yeah, them about. And, mm-hmm. and until yeah. you do that, it's the history yeah. of. Uh, Brussels or of Belgium's colonialism is what mm. was happening here. These uh, mental retards. I'm sorry, am I allowed to say that? I, I think you can. Is, is yeah. iTunes going to ban okay. us if this I say is, mental This retards? is a safe space where we okay. can yeah. say All horrible right. things. Okay, yeah. well, these, yeah. these guys that uh, were responsible for this uh, attack, these sort of semi-educated, knuckle-dragging scumbags, aren't somebody who's sitting there going, you know what, King Leopold? Big problem. Big problem. <laughs> I got to go blow up a, a subway station and maybe go to the American Airlines counter and kill a bunch of people, multinational group of victims. Um, we are never going to get it into our heads because we love our own politics too much. Um, we are never going to get into our heads that it isn't our fault. It is it's something that it mystifies me, this idea of root causes theory of that, you know, if we just stop doing X, they will stop doing Y. And, you know, it's a great example right here is that, you know, when a suicide bomber blew himself up, didn't kill anybody but himself in Stockholm uh, three years ago uh, in, on Drottninggat on a big, a big shopping street, killed himself, only killed himself. What the fuck did the Swedes do? Somebody tell me that. Yeah. I mean, I know it's really difficult to put together IKEA furniture, but I wouldn't kill (laughs) civilians. Like, what is what is is the Belgian what is the Belgian foreign policy? Well, I think these people are side of NATO. Michael Moynihan. Come on. No, it's here's the thing. It's unfortunately Occam's razor kind of applies here. The simplest explanation is the one that's the most compelling. It is the ideology. And this ideology is one that does that will, of course, say we oppose Iraq, we oppose Assad, mm-hmm. we oppose blah, blah, blah. Sure, those happen to overlap. Right. But if you, you know, if, if those things never existed, you know, because none of this stuff existed before 9-11 and 9-11 happened, right? There was no Iraq before 9-11, but 3,000 people were killed. Why? Right. Why did you, how did you get 19 hijackers to do that right. on 9-11 prior to the Iraq war? Well, 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 you know, I mean, you couldn't say, well, we helped out Muslims in Bosnia. We helped out Muslims in Afghanistan, et cetera. That's just becomes back and says, well, you created Al-Qaeda. Well, shouldn't they be happy that we created Al-Qaeda? Yeah, <laughs> shouldn't they give us some credit for creating Al-Qaeda? I think, I think the Jesus. bottom line, though, and, 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 you know, to try to put a bit of a bow on this, although we could talk about it for a while, is... As I we all, I know as we all know, no, it's it's not even that. It's it's enormously complicated, and media narratives necessarily oversimplify things and try to make it really, really easy for everyone. So it's digestible, yeah. and those guys are bad. They're yeah. awful and they're terrible, they and are. and they're and they're the worst people. And and we're the good guys. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we're the good guys, uh, and sometimes we're not. And that's not. It's not moral relativism to acknowledge that it is enormously complicated, and that the the Middle East has been sort of roiled in all sorts of sure. goofy nonsense for years and years and years, and that that produces uh, uh, a cauldron of really bad stuff. It's, um, the, the, so. thing, the thing about it is that if you look at the responses, and, the, and, and, and you're right, the, the media says after, after um, the attack in Brussels, 
There's so many headlines. Why Brussels? Right. Why are all these guys coming from Brussels? You know, the Paris attackers. And then, and then some genius in their some, opinion piece that you can read in five minutes. Oh, they finally explained yeah, it all to me. they finally explained it all now to I you. Know. But the incredible thing about it is that you don't, nobody treats this like they would treat a science experiment. Right. Because if you say that, you know, these people a lack of opportunity, they just blah, blah, blah. You know, I can find a million places in the world with a lack of opportunity. That's right. And there are people that don't there's, join a death cult there and is kill a, civilians. There is a... Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Poverty. No, there's a lot of poor people that don't do this sort of thing. In Europe, there is a group of people with dark skin who live oh across... I don't like where this is going. ...borders. <laughs> they are disproportionately poor. They are the targets of overt racism. Um, they're the poorest people on the continent by far. Mm -hmm. And they don't blow shit up. Yeah. That's... Gypsies or Romanies, as yeah. you're supposed to call mm, them. Yeah. Um, sure. And so, you know, the facile explanations of that we haven't assimilated uh, well enough. It's true. We totally haven't assimilated That's well enough. True. And that is part of the reason why this ideology takes root. All that is true. It's also true that gypsies aren't blowing people up. They're just yeah. taking we, 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 We're just desperate to not to talk about the, the, the factor that all of these people have in common. And it's not poverty. And it's not lack of opportunity. I mean, there, you know, Osama bin Laden was very wealthy. And a number of the hijackers. I mean, there's, there's a joke that, you know, amongst the terrorism researchers. What is it about engineering degrees that makes people terrorists? Because so many <laughs> terrorists with engineering degrees. <laughs> that it's actually not, makes sense. It's not, you know, poverty, et cetera. The one thing is that these people have all been, you know, are, are overwhelmingly drunk on a particular ideology, which is, which is tied to a particular religion. And so therefore we don't want to talk about that because it's very, very, it's a minefield. And unfortunately we presume, and you might be right about this, that people are stupid and cannot, you know, understand the difference between like, well, most, most Muslims are absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. But that, but because that is true and because a couple of, you know, oafish, you know, Pamela Geller types like to paint with a very broad brush. Right. It, it, it doesn't mean that the, the, the to, to combat that actually strengthens people like Pamela Geller is to say that it really has nothing to do with this ideology whatsoever. So yeah, that's yeah. my piece. But and what that does is, it, you know, it gets us, it gets us into, you know, uh, San Bernardino and having this and how this happens in America. It's, you know, it happens a lot more in Europe. It doesn't happen much in America, but you know, the guy, the guy shoots things up, you know, gets killed, leaves a phone and that phone's basically going to tell us everything about terrorism and solve <laughs> the world's pro problems. So Camille Foster, you're like a, you're a privacy dude. You, by the way, you're like, I just want you, you can't see Camille. It's, it's, it's good that you can't because he's not wearing a shirt. He has a nosebleed. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot he's of people want to see He's got that, all but... sorts of fucking technology on him, like Apple watches. What is that thing in your it's shirt? A, it's a Lumo lift. Uh, they're not sponsoring the podcast, but you should totally what go buy that? one. It's a posture correction device. Vibrates if I slouch. I, you didn't have Jesus one that you Christ. screwed into your head at one point? It didn't screw into my head. I wore it on my head. I won't mention the brand because I've returned it and I'm no longer you using that. You have all these. I, you're like Ron I have Bailey. things. I have things. <laughs> you're I like have, cryogenically frozen. So I have this, plenty of things. But so obviously this story is mm -hmm. something that, that – because uh, you're – you're the you're a very hardcore libertarian chap, and you're covered in technology, so they don't need. Um, we can say this, even though the podcast will come out a couple of days after. We yeah, yeah, no, they don't. They don't need the the lawsuit. Turns anymore. out, they turns out they don't need. need it. Apple to give the keys to the kingdom. Why? What's going on? Well, it sounds like they were able to use some sort of zero-day exploit in yeah. order to get what they needed out of the phone. And a zero-day exploit Thank is you. actually, <laughs> yeah. I saw Matt, saw Matt moving. Um, it is when someone discovers a flaw in a piece of software that renders it very, very, very vulnerable that no one knew about before. That's why you have patches. Yeah, it's right. in, in the actual that. architecture of the software, there's a mistake. Yeah. Somebody will find it. You're the first person to find that. You should yeah. see the look on their face. They're talking <laughs> as if 
there is a three-year-old child swimming across. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. So, so the thing, the thing about this is, of course, in the very beginning of this entire uh, fiasco, I think it's fair to call it that. You know, the FBI and the White House were very, very adamant. Look, this is about one phone. This is only about one phone. We just need help getting into this one phone so that we can get what we want. Uh, and the folks at Apple and the rest of the Silicon Valley crowd were actually pretty clear about this and have been pretty consistent. This is clearly not about one phone. If it's just one phone, we can actually help you get into that one device. There are lots of people who could help you get into that one device. This isn't about one phone. And it's interesting, at the conclusion of uh, one of the stories, that, the many stories that was written um, on Monday evening when this news first came out, um, is just a blurb. It says, previous court filings indicate prosecutors were seeking similar orders against Apple involving at least 15 phones seized as parts of unrelated crime inv- crimes and investigations around the country. Um, and that doesn't include, I believe, the state and local prosecutors. And that's from a Wall Street Journal story uh, on, on Monday evening. So it, the bottom line here is, again, related to the terrorism conversation that we're having, oversimplified narratives about various things lead to oversimplified solutions. And the truth of the matter is that there are real concerns about um, the, the, the rights of the people who run these companies to not be forced to mm-hmm. do certain things, um, but also just from a business standpoint, all of the conversations about building backdoors into software necessarily would make companies like Apple and Google and whoever else um, a lot less competitive yeah. if they had to build so- software with vulnerabilities. It would make certain that Matt Welch's um, nude photos in his iPhone of himself, yeah. of course, Disgusting. Um, would uh, would be mm. leaked by hackers Amazing. because there'd be a backdoor that everyone could take advantage of. A thing that, I don't, but I don't yeah. like the, the combination of the phrase backdoor and nude photos of Matt Welch. I, so you know, I wrote I, this can, earlier can, and I'm doing I, it for, for effect. Let me ask both of you something. Let's, let's make this podcast um, practical for people, people practical. listening to this, and they are stumped by an argument that comes up at a dinner party. And you guys are going to clarify this for them. And I was on a television program with uh, Megan McCain, who's a friend of mine. I disagree with her a lot, but Megan used this argument, which one would expect. Um, hey, man, I got nothing to hide. I have no, I have a, you know, what do I care? Like, it's, it is only affects terrorists. If you want to look at my shit, go right ahead to, you know, to which, to which, of course, the obvious answer is, why don't you just put your passwords online? We can all look at your stuff. But they say, well, no, 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 no. That's, that's stupid because it's just the government and I trust them. Why, Matt, Camille, should we care about this stuff when, um, you know, we have nothing to hide? This We hear this all the time. Uh, because people who are uh, even more innocent than you, uh, but who might be unfairly uh, singled out and targeted, um, will have the government roping through everything that they're doing. Um, Harvey Silverglade had a book uh, five years ago called uh, Three Felonies a Day. The federal uh, code at this point is such that three law-abiding citizens, or one law-abiding citizen, the three of us sitting around here, uh, this table commits on average three felonies a day. So a motivated prosecutor, a motivated uh, law— I got to get that book. uh, um, uh, he's from Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, great. Uh, a motivated uh, law enforcement apparatus with access to all of the stuff that you have, even if you have nothing to hide, you are guilty of crimes. So that's a problem. Another problem is that by trying to force um, uh, Apple to or anyone else to create some kind of magical backdoor, and this is a, this is a, actually a fantasy. I know nothing about technology, but I know enough. That the the idea of a golden key, mm-hmm. a backdoor, has been going on since the Clintons in 1993, yeah, 1994. Right. What was the name of that thing that they were trying to to push through back at the time? 
Uh, in the day, the V chip. <laughs> no, actually, the V chip. The V chip is it's close a, to that. It's a close something else. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Clipper chip. The Clipper that's right. chip. The that's clipper, what it was called. It was, it was f- effectively government-sponsored encryption, where the government would keep the keys to this thing yeah, and always be able idea. to take a look at it. It'd be super safe because we use the smartest guys at the NSA, et cetera. I commend. To make it, I commend but, uh, people to look up well. the work of Matt Blaze, who worked on the Clipper chip. He uh, has a Twitter account. I think it's just Matt Blaze. Uh, and he's written very uh, uh, at length and persuasively about the absolute folly and money suck that that particular project did and why mm. that those such projects are doomed to failure. And it's amazing. Hillary Clinton, who was there at the time, who was talking about the necessity of the clipper chip and watched that failure. And it was a huge, public, yeah, yeah, awful yeah, yeah, failure, yeah, yeah. is now calling for the exact same thing with Apple, like turnkey, like using the uh-huh. same language almost, hasn't learned anything from it. One of the problems with ha- with doing it that way is that as soon as you create the one magical key, who do you think is going to get it sure. and use the magical key <laughs> and use it well? Camille, we're talking about the good guys. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the good guys, you know, mistakenly committing three felonies a day, as Harvey Silverglass book has it, <laughs> and, you know, us doing uh, no wrong in the, the, the mustache-twisting, sinister government looking through our stuff. What about the bad guys? Do you know, this idea of bad guys having encryption is the second argument after, well, I don't have anything to hide. The second one is, well, I don't want those guys having this industrial-grade con- encryption that can't be cracked. By the way... If it can be created, there are Israelis in the world that can crack it. Nobody else. As, only, as long as there are Israelis, nobody's safe. So, so what, what do you make of that? What do you make of the idea that, that, that you know, bad guys have encryption? Right? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm actually not persuaded that the bad guys having encryption is what is the most likely thing to, uh, yeah. to, to, to allow them to carry out these attacks. I mean, the fact of the matter is when we look at uh, the Saif brothers um, yeah. in uh, in Boston, and when we see uh, even the most recent events in Brussels, like these are related characters. Like yeah. they know one another. They live in close proximity. They are meeting in person in order to avoid surveillance. They know, yeah, just as yeah, as the true. government has seemingly discovered that there are in fact vulnerabilities in software, and there true. are ways to penetrate various levels of encryption. Even the most advanced today will eventually be vulnerable. So. They take steps to avoid that. Um, so by by essentially making our software, which is already not perfect, less secure, we yeah. only succeed in doing that. We don't actually succeed in making ourselves safer. And that is always, I mean, that is the problem with uh, all unicorn policies where they promise yeah. to deliver a specific outcome. Um, but it is not at all clear that there, there is a world where I you went, can actually do I went on do this. Fox to talk about this Apple case probably a half a dozen times. And each time uh, I had questions like you had, uh, uh, Michael, except uh, a little bit more uh, pointed of a, why do you love terrorists? Yeah, yeah. To, blow, to blow me up. Exactly. Want to blow blonde people up. Yeah, this yeah. That. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I would point out, and it came as like a jaw-dropping surprise to all of them, that Bloomberg uh, reported, not the Michael himself, but the agency reported that the National Security Team Council, uh, along with the president, they had a meeting in November of December of this year talking about the need to have a test case so that they can get public opinion on their side yeah. so that they could crack open encryption because there's too many dark doors, James Coney, whatever, uh, talking about this. It's open. This was their test case. It's, right. it's blatant. And people go, no, no, it's just one phone. It's so obviously not one phone. It's not one phone. And it's also the presumption in this that this phone is going to contain something. That's also, this is like Geraldo right. Rivera's secret uh, Al Capone's vault. It's going to be a couple of dusty <laughs> bottles because the thing about these things is we presume that a, a level of sophistication is required 
to be a terrorist. It's not true. And the thing that 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 people say, well, yeah, of course, that's how you catch them, et cetera. But the thing that one also has to understand is that when you have a 22, 23-year-old terrorist growing up in the kind of digital world they grew up, it does not take a lot of sophistication to avoid the censors and avoid the prying eyes of the government. As Camille said, in the, in the, in the case of Paris, they were using burner phones. They were not, they literally were not, you know, online very much. People said, well, they were sending uh, uh, clear text, uh, uh, you know, clear uh, text that weren't, weren't encrypted on the day of the attacks. Yeah. I mean, they were saying like, all right, ready to go. I mean, this, 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 this <laughs> is a little too late. And if you look at the, the Al-Qaeda um, this the, the, what is it? What is it? Dibuk or whatever the um, name mm-hmm. of their magazine is. They recommend that as if you don't subscribe. Uh, I mean, I do. I get a, a, a first delivery. Uh, you know, I get a media copy. It's like I don't pay for it. <laughs> um, it it's you know, it was what Snowden had recommended uh, two operating systems called Tails and Cubes, and they are on USB drives. So basically, you have the entire operating system existing on a USB drive. It leaves no traces of anything anywhere, and they have said. Outright in this, I, I pointed this out on Twitter the other day. He said, "Look, if you're gonna communicate and you have to communicate on the internet and you have to do blah blah blah, make sure you're using tails yep. or cubes. Make sure you're booting your your computer off of a, a USB drive. You're leaving nothing on the actual computer itself, nothing on the actual hard drive. These guys, it's not a huge level of sophistication. I'm not a computer scientist. Yeah. I can do this in the, the afternoon and make sure that no one ever found me. It's not just about you know the Tor network. All this stuff exists, and you can't." contain it because the thing is if the united states government says hey apple don't you have to give us the keys you know what there's going to be some clever 14 year old in Haifa that's going to create something that is even more encrypted which yeah. is you know tails and cubes these are not commercial products they're not something created by that you can't pressure somebody to do because it it's an open source thing it's done the cat is out of the bag there's no point in arguing about this stuff anymore so one uh, one uh uh I had mentioned Hillary Clinton before, but uh, another uh, presidential candidate uh, here has uh, has come up with his own ideas. We need to close parts of the Internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's going to get Bill Gates on the phone, literally uh, said this. Uh, and he's also going to crack skulls uh, with Apple and other people to open those. He is phones. literally the dumbest person to ever run for president, the, the least informed. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, who has I think so actually, little knowledge and understanding of how this stuff works. I think actually dumbest, too. And uh, and I'll, I'll get to that in, in a second. But he's someone who has uh, just in terms of terrorism has. Uh, has said that, uh, you know, we need to send perhaps 20 or 30,000 troops uh, to fight ISIS. We need to seize the oil fields in Iraq. Sure. Um, and then profit personally from the oil. So we actually need to have the the, the blood for oil thing that sure, Bush ever sure. never uh, quite got around to doing. Uh, he wants to uh, kill terrorists' families. Yeah, yeah, he wants to waterboard the shit out of yeah. kind of everybody yeah. And he's been held up by some anti-war libertarians as being the guy to bring down the neocon. <laughs> it is totally baffling because, I mean, you, you, you see him the other day in his rambling um, interrogation from The Washington Post. And then, of course, The New York Times editorial pages, which literally read like the transcript of like somebody who had been caught and sent to Guantanamo. I want just I, I rambling. Want to, I want and, and to read a bit because it's so great to watch the mind at play it, here. This it, is just, oh, you, oh, you have it in front of you. Yes, this right, is just a little section here. Okay. okay. Uh, and they've been talking about everything, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, all yeah, of his yeah. answers were just like off. He had no idea what they were talking about. But yeah. uh, so, what about China and the South China Sea? What do you think they're up to? I think it's a terrible situation. I think terrible. it's terrible. They have no respect. Uh, and so, what should we do about it? Well, look. We have power over China and and people don't realize it. We have trade power over China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think we're going to start World War Three over what they did. It affects other countries, certainly a lot more than it affects us. But and honestly, you know, part of 
I always say we have to be unpredictable. We're totally predictable. And predictable is bad. Sitting in a meeting like this and explaining my views. And if I do become president, I have these views that are down for the other side to look at. You know, I hate being so open. I, I hate... literally have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> Wait, it, it's, it's going to go to different places. I hate when they say, like I said, get rid of the oil. Keep the oil. Different. It's about Just, the South China Sea. He's, he's, uh, keep the old different things over Ill. the years. When people are saying what you would do with regard to the Middle East, when we left, <laughs> we should have never been in Iraq. Yeah, of course. This questions Great. about the South well, China yeah, Sea. Yeah. One of the worst. Yeah. yeah. Uh, constantly yeah. throughout this interview, he literally has no idea what he's talking uh, about. Uh, are we? Are we? Have we gotten to the point that we're in a we're in a not only a post fact society, post logic society. That the number one, that the, the the guy who's going to take the Republican nomination, is not only is not a, he's not a conservative, he's not even coherent. I mean, literally, there's no coherence, and it's all about emotion. I mean, you think of this thing about NATO. So he comes in like right after the Brussels attack, wonderfully timed, to say that you know NATO, we know we pay we too much money, you know, and no one else is uh, hundreds paying. of billions. And, and, yeah, 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 no one else is uh, paying their 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 freight on that. Which, by the way, isn't true. If you add up all the NATO uh, armies that aren't the United States, it would be I think the third biggest army in the world after U.S. and China. They do. They, they there's a big. I mean, even people like Sweden, who has part of the Partnership for Peace, that are not NATO countries but send you know ships, etc. So it's a big apparatus, and we need those bases in Europe. For what reason? Well. I would say that if you were what what the the kind of anti-war libertarians would say that Donald Trump's the best guy for us, then yeah, 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 no need NATO. Get rid of those places in Germany, these places where we take off from in Italy, et cetera. But at the same time, here's the the incongruity in, in Donald Trump's thought. We're supposed to be bombing the shit out of ISIS, the shit out of them. <laughs> we're supposed to be encircling oil fields and then, you know, putting 20,000 troops on the ground to protect them, which, of course, will never engage in combat whatsoever. No one, they would not be sitting ducks for anything. Where do we, where, where would all those troops come from? Where would be the logistical well, bases? They, what would they come from? The Florida Keys and fly over? Well, let's, to, let's take, let's take, a, let's take a quick step back here because I, I think, I mean, you, you mentioned libertarians at the front end and we should note that there are, in fact, plenty of Americans who think that Everything Donald Trump is saying about terrorism, whether or not it makes any sense at all, is spot on. Yeah, we got to get them. We got to kick their asses. We got to do something about them. So there are those people who, who support mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Um, and I cannot speak for sort of the broader spectrum or universe of libertarian people who, who say stuff about Donald Trump. I can only, only speak for me. And my perspective on all of this is that Trump is his major his major failing, his major shortcoming is that he is not an effectual and persuasive and compelling liar. Mm -hmm. um, and to the extent he is ill-informed about foreign policy, it, it is quite obvious he's not very good at obscuring the fact that he's ill-informed about foreign policy. When we actually look at the foreign policy record of eloquent, thoughtful statesmen um, and stateswomen uh, like Hillary Clinton, um, who thought it was a really, really good idea for us to topple a government in Libya still um, does. and still thinks so um, and thinks it's a really good idea for us to be deeply involved in the nonsense in Syria uh, that is currently going on where the United States government is is effectively arming both, not even effectively, it is literally arming both sides of the conflict. Folks who have been trained by the United States, who are firing weapons at one another, driving around in Humvees in certain instances, folks who were aligned against the United States when it was fighting in Iraq. That is that is happening right now. Like those people are the ones we're cheering for. And we have a situation where Iraq and Iran are those are the good guys. 
together, kind of? Like, that all strikes me as completely and utterly incoherent. And the fact of the matter is, you have one idiot who everyone acknowledges is a total rambling nincompoop and doesn't know what he's talking about. And then you have these other people who are, well, yeah, I mean, he seems like a nice guy. Well, look at his suit. It is literally from Brooks Brothers. Looks really good. I mean, he's a good, good-looking guy. Cut of his jib is great. We should totally trust him. And we should do what he says. Except for the fact that it's always wrong. And they are routinely incoherent. And they routinely lie. I, I, I don't know. Here, I mean, it's not. I get your point. But I, I but, think but that there's just a, to, yeah. to put a button on it, yeah. like, the point isn't that Donald Trump is great and Camille Foster is endorsing him right now. That's what it's, I'm hearing. It's, 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 I don't want to exaggerate the extent to which Donald Trump is awful. Um, I think there are plenty of things There's that no he says are, are deplorable. No, but there is. Um, I think his major failing is it's it's about respectability politique. Mm. Like, that is the issue. I would like, say, he's not a respectable candidate. But honestly, most of those other people who I just referred to, both Democrat and Republican, they're not respectable either. Let's uh, let's. Do, uh, you're a student of the Bible, so do you remember the <laughs> Holy Spirit, the parable of the beauty pageant? Um, uh, and, that, I don't think that that's right? in there. Yeah, that's Obviously, you're not a student of the Bible. For a long time in uh, Galilee, um, there was uh, an annual beauty pageant, and there was a section a section of the population that thought this beauty pageant is is disreputable, despicable, doesn't represent me. It's it's uh, it's offensive to women. And so they thought that what they would do in order to register their uh, sense of disquiet and, and frankly disgust at the beauty pageant and the mores that it was communicating was to nominate the elephant man. So mm. they nominated the elephant man for the beauty this is pageant. Definitely not in the Bible. Uh, yeah. And then uh, when <laughs> people who liked the beauty pageant and participated said, What are you doing, dude? That's the elephant man. He's super duper ugly. This is a beauty pageant. They said, Aha. You see, it's not as grotesque as your policies, which I've been living with this under, this whole time. I find your beauty pet. Yeah. But here's the difference. I just, the, I'm on your side all of a sudden. I don't, I don't know, know what's how going that on happened. Here. I am now Donald on your Trump side. just snuck into the room. In, yeah, totally. in the biblical parable. Yeah, you sound like you're talking to the Wall Street, uh, the Washington <laughs> President's journal board. Is that we don't get to opt out of the beauty pageant. So people who are supporting right. Donald Trump as a protest to hold up a mirror to an elite that they find disgusting and terrible and awful um, are I can I don't get to opt out of that choice. Uh -huh. And the thing is, he is disgusting and terrible and awful. And that is worth pointing out. He's dumb. He's mm. dumb. His brain lacks the ability to uh -huh. register New information on the ground here. He's talking about trade. You talk about like, oh, he's not act yeah. actually bad here. His policies towards trade could throw the world into a global depression. Yeah. This would uh -huh. be the worst thing since 1929. As, as could Bernie Sanders. As could Bernie Sanders, as could Bernie, as could Bernie Sanders uh, too. Uh, that to me, it, that's a huge part of foreign policy and international relations is whether or not the United States is leading or deciding to rip up its leadership role right. in trying to reduce tariffs and barriers and barriers and terriers. Um, <laughs> which has lifted a billion people out of poverty over the last quarter century. So, like, these are not small things. These right. are actually big, big things. And when you nominate, when you select an ignoramus on foreign policy, um, or even someone who doesn't really know, let's say it's George W. Bush. So right. there's the Slo Slovakians and Grecians, <laughs> right? Um, but Slo Slovakians is right. But, uh, Slovaks, yeah, yeah. it's not. 
Yeah, really? You can't say Slo- Slovakia? You can, but people who've actually lived oh, he in Slovakia. Slo- oh, sorry. He said Slovakians. Yeah, Slovakians. Oh, yeah, I said Slovakian. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, sorry. It's a, it's, <laughs> I was trying to defend George W. Bush for it's a second. A, it's Mickey Mouse. <laughs> but George W. Bush had a humble foreign policy. He had a foreign policy that looked— Until, until he didn't. Until he didn't. And that's the right. thing. If you don't know what you're talking about, and I would put Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump in this. When they talk about how the world works, how foreign policy works, they are— Fucking retarded. They have yeah. no idea what they're so, talking so what about. Do you, so what do you Hold label? On. I'm so, not done. <laughs> okay. When you don't know, when you don't have a, a basis of knowledge and then the bad thing happens because the bad thing is always going to happen. Right. You scramble. Suddenly you're like in free fall. You're scrambling and you and you latch on to whoever says, aha, I've been right. paying attention this whole time. Right. And the pr- person that you hold on to then at that moment is not an anti-war libertarian. It's not someone who is an intervention skeptic, skeptic right. because with very rare exception, those people haven't been paying attention to the world. I hear you, you. you hang on to Bill Crystal. So even if he if he if the ignoramus circles around to have holding my opinion on something in foreign policy and Trump inevitably will on occasion especially compared to the rest of the field. Right. Um, the fact that he doesn't know what he's talking about to get there matters because if, as president, the bad thing would happen, he would then become totally unreliable and bad. Yeah, yeah. And, and, we've, and we, we don't have much time, so I don't want to sit on this. Um, I, I totally get your argument. Uh, I think, if, if anything, for me, it's about perhaps eroding uh, the prestige of the office just a bit so that Americans are more skeptical because quite Elf frankly, Man, quite frankly, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, so, exactly. maybe exactly. so, but, but quite frankly, I don't know that it's better if it's Hillary Clinton who thinks she knows. And, I think it's, be- it's I think demonstrated it's be- I think it's better that she to have know. somebody who's incredibly bright about this, who you agree with and actually has some principle. There are people out there that exist. Unfortunately, we just yeah. don't nominate them and the American people don't like them. Uh, so which is the I, real problem, which is the real problem. And unfortunately we're, uh, um, you know, uh, getting behind four square behind people like Donald Trump. Yep. And the thing about him is that the erratic nature of Donald Trump's foreign policy, I think, has the potential of being more dangerous than anything that Perhaps Hillary so. Clinton or Bill. Uh, I mean, look at this idea of, of you know, um, we're creating safe zones in the middle of Syria for refugees. Right. And then we're taking oil and then we're pulling out of all of our engagements in Europe and pissing yeah, people yeah, off yeah. and then just bombing the shit out of this and carpet bombing that. It sounds kind of crazy to me. Although, although those things would have to actually happen. Yeah, and, and no, 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 no. Uh, it's, too much know, of a, it's too much of a risk for me you. to think that he's just joking. I'd like to take anybody <laughs> who's, you know, running for the presidency seriously. We have Usually what power. they do is yeah. they say... They say little and then they do more. Yeah. Whereas I, we're supposed to expect Trump Trump that he's going to say a lot and do less. All right. Let's let's because we're, uh, you know, Pressing the clock is ticking. And, and, and I think my favorite, I just I'm desperate to get some to this segment. Some idiot wrote this. Yeah. Do you have, we should have something of like Don Pardo. Like <laughs> some idiot wrote this. You know, <laughs> yeah, this because, um, you know, I- I- idiots are writing things all the time. And I think that one of the great things about the 24-hour news cycle and about the freebie uh, internet these days is that, um, you know, every person with an opinion and we need content, 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 shoveling coal into the engine to keep the website running. Uh, that means a lot of dumb stuff. So, uh, Camille Foster, um, yes. what what uh, what did you read this week that some idiot wrote? No, no, I'm actually deferring to you two guys. Oh, you, you guys are, have great okay, stories. We, okay, all right. Yeah, I didn't bring anything. All right, so uh, Matt has the more substantive one, so why don't I start? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Because this one I don't think is going to take very long. Okay, so um, I just want to point out that um, I am a bit of a hooligan here. I'm a bit, I, I, uh, you know, set the pitchfork mob on somebody named La Shah, L-A-S-H-A. 
um, whose uh, byline says, writer, know-it-all, goofball, and revolutionary. <laughs> um, in what I did to La Shaw, uh, she's, um, uh, her, my work has been featured on Blavity. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Atlanta name. Black Star. And she's uh, the founder of the Kinfolk Collective blog. Um, when I pointed out her piece, uh, it was retweeted like 500 times. And I just noticed that she shut down her Twitter account. <laughs> so oh, great. Look at you I'm, sorry, Congratulations. I'm sorry, La Shaw, for You've... unleashing the uh, the hellhounds. Hate, hate mobs. Um, but um, and the name of this, the name of but this you piece. deserve it. Let's get to the piece. This was in the Huffington Post, which will apparently publish anything. In the uh, Huffington Post Black Voices section, uh, the piece was called North Korea Proves Your White Male Privilege Is Not Universal. <laughs> you, like, you like where this is going, what? don't you? <laughs> um, uh, okay, go. So essentially, uh, this kid, uh, uh, Otto Warmbier, it's like literally warm beer in German, um, was convicted of uh, subversion in Korea because he's tried to steal a banner. American kid or American kid, kid? American kid. Oh, so we have to root for him. Uh, yeah, okay. so, so, so he stole this banner, this propaganda banner, and uh, he was sentenced to 15 years hard labor. Yeah. And there was a video of him um, crying and hysterically crying and saying, I didn't mean to do this. I was just, it was just a prank. I was just goofing around and everything. And so this woman has made, uh, written a long, uh, tedious speech, with, which appears to both uh, defend the North Korean regime <laughs> and say that... Uh, what this actually is, is showing that your white privilege doesn't travel because <laughs> just hear me out on this one. <laughs> it is literally the dumbest thing that has ever been put uh, on the internet. And you know, there's been a lot of dumb stuff on there. Like it's worse than Holocaust denial. What's the, yeah. the dumbest thing I've ever read? And so essentially what her argument is that, you know, the only reason he did this is because he's so imbued with the sense of white privilege that he can do anything that, you know, you know, it stopped, you know, the buck stopped in North Korea when they said, you know, no white privilege here, buddy, you're going to prison for 15 years. And she says like, you know, I don't really feel bad for this guy. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know what we, uh, cause she's a, she's a black writer. She said, well, we have to deal with, you know, and, and she talks about Eric Garner and all this stuff, the, you know, unfortunate and disgusting uh, thing that happened to Eric Garner was killed. You know, and then she says right after it, which is great, it's like, you know, you really have to obey the laws in North Korea. <laughs> you know, this is against the law to steal. It's like, well, so wait, 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 hold on. So 15 years hard labor for taking a banner off the wall. And then you're like saying this, oh, Eric Garner, it's really upsetting. You know, he was like breaking the law, selling Lucy's yeah. and he was basically murdered for it. So does this not apply? But so this is an incredible piece. You can find it on my uh uh, uh, Twitter feed and MC Moynihan and there's a really great uh, so I'll just read you, I'm going to leave you um, on the last paragraph as I've said, living 15 years performing, this is not English by the way, as I've said <laughs> living 15 years performing manual labor in North Korea is unimaginable, but so is going to a place I know I'm unwelcome and violating their laws I'm a black woman though, the hopeless fear warm beer is now experiencing is my daily reality living in a country where white men like him are willfully oblivious to my suffering, even as they are complicit in maintaining the power structures which ensure their supremacy at my expense? That's called a run-on sentence. Um, so I just want to ask Camille Foster, who is not black but is black, uh, do you feel every day as a not black black man um, like you're living in North Korea? No, no, no. Uh, I mean, she's, I mean, I, I don't have much to say about this narcissist. I will say um, that there's something 
really deplorable about uh, both Huffington Post and its ability to give everyone a platform for publishing stuff yeah. and essentially an awning that almost looks respectable. And other folks are, are doing this, too. Like the Washington Post has post everything, which should probably be retitled post any fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because yeah. most of it is yeah. so bad. And and 90 yeah. percent of the time now I'll see something on uh, Facebook or Twitter and it is some nincompoop who posted sure. something at post fucking anything. Yeah. Uh, and I, I got a dollar back. My mom is going to listen. Uh, didn't um, didn't they so, rear him? Yeah. One, one more quote. One more quote. Just, just, come on. just one more. <laughs> just here we go. Didn't they rear him? This is I'm talking about uh, Mr. Varmbeer's parents. Didn't they rear him to respect law and order? Did they not teach him the importance of obeying authority Ugh. in North Korea? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that's that's uh, my the, uh, the, piece. That it I reminds me a bit, a bit of uh, when the standoff in uh, Oregon happened in Eastern Oregon and uh, yeah. uh, the various Bundys and whatever. And a lot of people um, who were rightfully upset at what happened in Ferguson mm-hmm. and, and elsewhere said, well, uh, then that's why we got to send the troops in to open fire. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like. Yeah. Yep. You know that yeah, they are yeah. protesting government overreach yeah, here. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't uh, like those people, but I don't want to kill them. Yeah, it's the, well, no, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a strange sense yeah, of equality. It's fair. The, yeah. Yeah. the best uh, sense of equality is get the cops the, the, off everyone's back. So you, you had one of these stories, too. Uh, you, you found something an idiot wrote, didn't you? Jill Abramson <laughs> used to be the executive editor of the New York Times. Oh. So uh, I don't. does that mean we're punching up or punching down, Michael? Uh, punching sideways? I'm punching sideways. I'm sideways. Uh, <laughs> she was kind of a, a unspectacular uh, in, in her job. She now writes for The Guardian. She's going to be writing uh, columns about the election here. She has a column. The headline is Hillary Clinton is fundamentally honest and trustworthy. Huh. I'll let it sink in. It's, it's a nice transition from North Korea to that uh, Kim Jong-il is <laughs> wonderful maker of pancakes and brilliant leader of revolution. I thought that maybe this was a question of the headline like went out over it skis a little bit too much yeah. that it'd be a little bit more nuanced. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, paragraph four or five here is Hillary Clinton is fundamentally honest and trustworthy. <laughs> and her her uh, her evidence for this uh, are one. There are no instances I know of where Clinton was doing the bidding of a donor or benefactor. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, okay. Never happened. So, the, the absence of doing... Yeah. I mean, okay, you haven't found that. That's fine. Yeah. Does that mean she's fundamentally honest and trustworthy? Uh, yeah. and, and, and two... Uh, as for her statements, by the on- way, Mark Rich could not be reached for comment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as for her statements on issues, Politifact, comma a Pulitzer Prize-winning fact-checking organization, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who never gets anything wrong, brush up those credentials. Yeah. Gives Clinton the best truth-telling record of any of the 2016 presidential candidates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's let's think about that for a second. So. Um, <laughs> PolitiFact, which itself has come under a lot of a question from people, our friend Mark Hemingway has done uh, quite a bit. I I have other people have as well. Um, their sample, by definition, is completely random and unrepresentative. It's what they chose. Sure. It's the statements that they chose to go. And I, I uh, don't doubt for a second that she's probably more trustworthy or more honest on uh, on average than Donald Trump and maybe Ted Cruz, too. Sure. Uh, but like <laughs> what? Th- this is not science. No, you can say science. Pulitzer rates. They've checked 46 of her statements and they've found, you know, 27 to be partly true. Yeah. That's not my daughter. My, science, my daughter's name is Chelsea. Oh, that's true. 
Yeah, no zero Pinocchios. <laughs> My husband is a scumbag. Absolutely true. Uh, and then she says, like most politicians, she switched some of her positions and sometimes shades the truth. You know, it's yeah. uh, but but still, she's been mainly constant on the issues. She gives her uh, uh, dings that um, her her biggest problem is that uh, she doesn't always. Um, uh, uh, present information when when asked, and she's been criticized sure. for that over the years. No, it's not that she actually lies about having given all the information, which she doesn't. You, give. you, when you when you suggested this story, it reminded me of, and I told you about this, the, something that, that the late great Christopher Hitchens wrote in Slate about uh, Hillary Clinton's um, lying about Bosnia, which is an issue that Christopher cared a lot about. So he goes through this whole thing, all these claims that she came under sniper fire and blah blah blah, and actually makes a really good case of why this is really actually important. And so he goes through all of her excuses, and he says this one sentence here: "This must mean either a." This is about her excuses that she lies without conscience or reflection or B, that she is subject to fantasies of an illusory past or C, both of the above. Any of the foregoing would constitute a disqualification for the presidency of the United States. And, you know, it's funny that you have so many years later. Someone like Jill Abramson. And, you know, by the way, not good, not a good look for the Times, despite the fact she's not there anymore, being accused essentially by Sanders people all the time of being relentlessly, breathlessly pro-Clinton. And then you get, you know, the former editor saying like, <laughs> something that is so you can't, ridiculous. You cannot you can really... conclude, I don't believe, as a, as a citizen, let alone as a journalist who's supposed to cover politics, yeah. uh, you need to make a case if you're going to say that a politician is, quote, fundamentally honest and trustworthy. The nature of the job is to be dishonest and untrustworthy. Well, so you better prove us. Look, a, look a we, we, we live in a headline world in which, you know, you see these studies of, of people at uh, Facebook, yeah. like, yep. you know, 98% don't read beyond the headline and then they'll make an argument based on the headline. Well, right. I saw that Hillary Clinton is, I mean, that's all you need to do. I mean, yeah. actually writing the piece is, I mean, you could essentially put a lorem ipsum generator to get a bunch of Latin text and then file that. And that's about, I mean, probably about 1% of people would notice. That's it's, about the amount of uh, yeah. work. Yeah. Well, there's, there's at least a little bit of that, uh, yeah. Matt. And I, I told you this uh, yesterday as well, that there was a, an, an article in a publication you're associated with that talked mm. about Donald Trump's irresponsibility. Uh, and the quote that I loved was, other candidates fudge, exaggerate, and mislead, but they operate within accepted limits of dishonesty or on dishonesty. Who wrote, I, who I wrote this? This who is Steve this? Chapman. Steve I don't Chapman. know Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't Syndicated know Steve. I'm sure he's yeah, a nice yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what the hell accepted limits of dishonesty are. And quite frankly, I mean, this does relate to that earlier conversation. Like, if that dishonesty includes getting Could people killed let's and get, blown let's, the hell let's, up. Let's have Chapman call yeah. in next week. I uh, have Chapman call in, but I yeah. would say one accepted limit is um, uh, I never said X mm. two paragraphs after you said X. Uh, mm -hmm. This didn't happen after being shown a videotape yeah. of this happening. That's accepted, that's that's the, that's the, new the key, territory. The key, actually. though, Matt, is, that is, is accepted, accepted by whom? I don't accept it. I, I don't accept I Hillary's lying. Neither do you. I agree. And I think that's the important. Part. I don't accept it either. But but, but it's time for parting shots. We're gonna part with so yeah. I like so the we're gonna shots. let you part we got, what shots. Do we, what do we, got? we got like three minutes. Here. You've got like a yeah, half a minute. No, come on. Like <laughs> I download podcasts here like an hour and three minutes. Okay. Come on, it's okay. Parting shot. So shots. the parting shot um, is this morning. <laughs> is this morning on the way uh, here to Midtown. Uh, I was on the subway and I finished reading Jeffrey Tubin's book, The Run of His Life, which uh, is what the, a, the the FX series, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, is based on. Jeff Tubin, whom I you know met a few times and done TV with, uh, nice guy. Uh, the book is excellent. I just want to say that the series is great. The book is excellent. And 
I it is a really great, and I think that Tubin might have said, hinted at this, that he wishes he could rewrite bits of it. But it's so different of how people deal with race then and now. Jeffrey Tubin's a very liberal guy. He was a staff writer at the New York at the time, still is. Um, his liberalism shows through quite a bit, and that's great, fine, no problem. But when he discusses race, he discusses it with like just you know he's about as forthright as you can be. And you read it now and you're like, wow, I can't believe he wrote that. And I think he's actually indicated that there's some things in the book that he's like a little uncomfortable with now. But it's not that he's wrong or that he'd change his opinion, but it's it gives you a sense of how writing about race has changed in the past 20 years. And you have mm. a very liberal guy like Jeff Tubin who does say, look at OJ's guilty. There's no doubt about this whatsoever. And he talks about the race card being injected by by the prosecution and gives them all holy hell about it, gives the jurors holy hell about vo uh, voting uh, based on uh, racial solidarity. And it's a really interesting um, kind of recapitulation of the trial, but it's an interesting document and time capsule of how race was written about in the mid-90s. Well, since we're out of time, we're going to have to save uh, me arguing that OJ was innocent for next oh, time. Jesus so. Christ. <laughs> Oh my God! Seriously, I mean, are we gonna are we gonna do that? Can we can we do that? We'll have Steve Chapman quick, call in quick, and then yeah. you're gonna talk Res about rescue us the Johnny the Johnny Cochran of 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 the fifth column. All right, all right. Yeah, that'll do it for us. This I week. hear the crackle of that record. Yeah, that means we're done. Yeah. Ah. Uh, well, yeah. thanks so much for joining us for our uh, our first installment. Uh, we we should be back every week. We'll see. Yeah. We'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. email us, yeah. write us. Uh, you can find us online at wethefifth.com, although that may change. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>